Welcome to Startup Nation Voices, a podcast of Startup Nation Mentorship and the World Jewish Congress. Startup Nation Mentorship pairs extraordinary college student leaders with top Israeli industry and government mentors. The venture is currently operating on 20 campuses in six continents and enables students to develop meaningful, lasting relationships with Israelis who are in the center of the dynamic global economy and hub of innovation. In Voices, we bring on top Israeli and international leaders to share a deeper look into their industry and personal background, exploring the importance of mentorship and partnership with Israel. I'm Adam Shapiro, the founder and chairman of Startup Nation Mentorship. And I'm Dean Mayer, um, investment analyst at OutCrowd, Israel's most active venture capital fund. Um, it's such a privilege to welcome Yoav Oren on Startup Nation Voices. Yoav is the co-founder and CEO of Zug.ai, uh, a startup building the most interactive family communication and entertainment platform in the world. Prior to founding Zug, um, Yoav, uh, <clears throat> he, was the, he was an entrepreneur um, in residence at Reimagine Ventures. Before joining Reimagine, he held several leadership positions at SimilarWeb. He, uh, he was also responsible for starting and establishing the company's China operations and served as the general manager of Greater China. Prior to his positions at SimilarWeb, he was re- relocated to Shanghai, by a major American institutional company, where he set up and managed the company's sales and marketing operations in all of Asia. He has also worked and studied in China for over a decade. You have Thank you so much for joining us today. We're super excited to have you on. It's my pleasure and nice to meet you both. Great. Um, so I'm going to begin, uh, I'll, I'll shoot off the first question. Um, so your new startup, Zoom, um, it's incredibly exciting, uh, especially given what we're all witnessing today during the pandemic. Can you tell us more about the concept and what led you uh, to found it? Sure, I'll be happy to. Uh, you know, I wish we had uh, an hour so I can talk about this for a long time, but I'll, I'll give you the, the brief version so to keep our, our listeners engaged. Uh, basically, Zug was born out of a personal necessity and personal like pain. So when my co-founder, Matan, and I um, got together and started working on our, our startup, we knew that we were going to do a consumer product, and we knew we wanted to focus on a specific target audience. And our initial target audience was really focused on on baby boomers or or young grandparents, um, if you will. And the idea is we we saw this segment and we said that it's extremely interesting uh, from a business perspective, because here's a segment that has a lot of free time, has the largest amount of disposable income out of pretty much any other segment in the world. It has great brand loyalty, but it doesn't get a lot of love from developers especially in the consumer space, despite having a digital experience that's pretty similar to yours and, and my experiences, right? And when the pandemic hit hard in March, we kind of said, okay, how are we experiencing this segment, which is really our parents in the most intimate, personal way? And one of the things that was most you know, transparent to us was that all we weren't allowed to see our parents anymore because of the pandemic. And all communication with them became online via video and, you know, WhatsApp, FaceTime, Zoom, whatnot. And for us, this was okay. But for our kids, their grandkids, it was an awful experience and basically didn't work. 
you know, our kids experience video conversations as very boring, very repetitive, you know, same questions every time. And basically they, they hate small talk, right? They can't do small talk. And our parents, their grandparents really were longing to have some kind of connection with them. But what was interesting about this whole pandemic period, our first lockdown, right? right now, right now we're in our second lockdown, is that video communication became, uh, became mainstream, right? So the whole world adapted to doing video communication. So even, you know, you and me, Dean, we can be in the same city, but we'll still have this conversation over video and it's completely natural. So the business world definitely, you know, you know became accustomed to this. But also in the private world, people have been become accustomed that this is the new way of us interacting with the world. So we said that on one hand, we have this huge pain of, you know, lack of, you know, sufficient channel for communication between these two generations. On the other hand, everyone's gone become adapted to using video and the tools that are out there simply don't solve this. So we decided this is what we're going to solve. We're going to solve basically bridging this communication gap between these two generations. And that's how Zug, the concept of Zug was born. Super, super interesting. Uh, really, really. Um, when when Adam, when we when we discussed Zoom, it was you know immediately something I was I, I saw the I saw the need for it. So so uh, sounds great. Um, Adam, I think you want to take over the next question. Definitely. Thanks, Dean. So our next question really touches on something that you are a unique expert on, and that is the Israel-China relationship. So it seems as if Israel's relationship with China is now under a microscope, largely due to the escalating tensions with Israel's main ally, the United States. So what do you think the future of the the Israel-China relationship is? Also, very big question. Um, Listen, I think it's not not only, you know, uh, based on recent events that we see tensions growing between Israel, China, U.S., that whole triangle. I think it's been, there's been growing tensions for the past, I guess over over a decade right now, um, and as you mentioned, I think you know on one hand you see a strengthening of the ties, economic ties especially between China and Israel, and commerce has gone up significantly between the two countries, export and import, in the past uh, twenty years. So Israel has only had official diplomatic relations with China for just for about twenty five years right now, uh, but you see a year over year increase in what we're doing, the amount of business we're doing with China. Where it gets complicated, or, or, or I guess you know, sensitive, is when those relationships move from, you know, just commerce and business, and into a more you know sensitive area of, of military uh, security cooperations. And that's where the U.S. is kind of put putting their foot down and saying, like, you know, we, this we can't allow to happen. So I think that it's going to be an issue. Israel and China are going to continue expanding and growing their relationships in the next few decades. China, we can't ignore China, not in terms of a market, which is significant for Israelis, and not in terms of the global uh, economy powerhouse that it's become either. But I think that the damper on the relationship will be really what type of business we will be able to conduct with China. I can tell you that on the, on the venture world, and I guess Dean, you know this uh, well. You know, Israelis have you know a lot of a lot of uh, VCs. I think our crowd, including, has a lot of Chinese money invested in the VCs. And right now, you know, Israeli companies are thinking twice of whether or not you know they can take money from 
you know, funds that have Chinese money invested into them because they are scared that will jeopardize their ability to work within the U.S. So I think that once we create clear definitions of what is goes into that gray area that falls underneath security means, therefore we're staying away from that. We're, we're staying away from Chinese funds for now versus, okay, China, there's a lot of other things we can do with China as a market, especially in the commerce world. Then I think that you know the, the, the relationship is going to continue on expanding and growing significantly. I don't see it slowing down. I also think that a lot of it will depend on the new or the existing administration that will be elected next month. So everything's in flux as usual, but I don't, I see the relationship continue growing and expanding um, in the future. Great. Um, cool. I'm going to, I'll hop on to the next question. So you spent quite a bit of time at SimilarWeb, one of the biggest uh, web analytics services in the world. How did you go about setting up the company's partnership in China? So SimilarWeb is a, a fabulous company, um, as you mentioned, one of the world's uh, one of the world's top um, market intelligence companies, uh, and it was a great privilege working with them. We had a leadership team, the CEO Ofer had a great experience, and one of my first tasks at SimilarWeb was really to open up our China operations. And SimilarWeb, being a data company, in order for it to give sufficient information, data about any market, you need to have a strong foothold in terms of you know, the data in that market. So in order for us to do that, we needed significant data partnerships uh, on the ground in China and establishing those relationships with you know, different you know, app developers, website developers, browsers, and so forth in order for us to see what really what's going on. Um, I can tell you that you know, there, there's no remedy for success in China. Every company I think is different. Uh, there, are, there are many different markets. Someone who says to you, this is the strategy that I would do in China, you know, treat that, take that with a caveat because it's, uh, you have to look at it uh, with, through the lens of your specific line of business. For me, it was really important that because data is such a sensitive topic, especially in China, I, I wanted to go in and do this in the stealth mode. So there's one way of going in and, you know, establishing a brand awareness and, you know, doing significant marketing work and, and all that stuff. For us, in order for us to create that infrastructure, um, I felt that the better way to do it is in, in, in a commando style. I had, you know, very small team, dedicated team. I spent once, you know, I'd, I'd be in China every three weeks, um, you know, doing these meetings face-to-face, which you can't do right now, unfortunately, and really building a, a data infrastructure for SimilarWeb in China based on different partnerships we were able to establish. And after what we did is after a year that we're doing this, and we got to a place where we have sufficient data where it was you know, statistically accurate, then we decided, okay, you know, now's the time that we can start engaging China from a commercial standpoint as well. And then I went out and aggressively started selling to some of the, you know, China's biggest tech giants. So we had major deals with Huawei and Alibaba and Baidu and JD and ByteDance and all the China tech tech uh, tech giants really, uh, and primarily what we did is we helped them understand not their local markets because they knew that better than anyone else, but help them expand to other markets outside of China, which was a huge and a major I guess uh, competitive advantage for SimilarWeb. The fact that we were able to offer them lens into what's happening in the US, in Brazil, in Europe, 
gave us a major advantage and you know really helped these companies expand to these markets. Wow, that's fascinating, and uh, I'm sure just a tremendous experience. So, uh, Yoav, you studied your undergraduate degree in the United States at Columbia University. As you know, Startup Nation Mentorship operates across 10 U.S. colleges, including Cornell, my alma mater, uh, Harvard and Yale and, and others. And um, I'd love if you could just talk about your experience being an Israeli at Columbia and what led you to go to college there instead of Israel. Uh, great question. So first of all, I think I, I've never worked so hard in my life. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, you know, I was here. I was I was an Israeli you know, pretty much, you know, after the army, I did, uh, I was in like a small uh, commando unit in the army, hardcore training. And then I went after my service. I was actually, I was wounded toward the end of my service. Uh, and then I, you know, after recovering, I went to work in New York for a few months, uh, make some money, and then actually traveled to China to train. I did like, you know, hardcore martial art training in China for a year. And I thought this, these two experiences are going to be the hardest things I did in my life. And then I arrived at Columbia. And boy, was I in for a treat. So here I was, this you know, young ex-commando, thinking I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all tough and, 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 uh, and whatnot. And man, they worked my butt off. So the first thing is that, you know, I think a few things. One, I knew that I wanted to study Chinese. And I knew that Columbia had one of the most, you know, one of the top Chinese programs in the country, in the States. And I wanted to enroll in really one of the top, you know, Chinese programs there was. And, you know, Columbia really was top notch and it was amazing. Um, the second thing was I wanted a different experience. You know, it's, it's hard when you're in, you're living in the startup nation. And Dean, you know this uh, well for living here. You're in this condensed bubble where everyone around you pretty much has the similar experience. Everyone was in the same unit and everyone, you know, studied the same things, went to the same universities. And I think, I guess I, my, my thought was I need to, I need to have a different experience so I can differentiate myself and somehow. And I felt that a, I knew it was going to be a huge challenge. Uh, B, I felt that it can really give me another edge, another differentiator uh, when I come back to Israel and bring something else, something different to the country, a different perspective. So I wanted also, but you know, there again, I was a little older. So I decided to, I wanted to go to a place where I could actually live in the city. Cornell might've been tough for me being, you know, out in the, you know, in the middle of nowhere, no offense. Right. Um, so I knew I wanted to live, I, you know, I got to experience the city, got to live like off campus, but also have the experience of being on an American campus, but choosing, I guess, the right, uh, the right amount. Um, and I guess that's really what drove the decision to go to Columbia. So the Chinese program, the fact that I wanted to be in the city and have a different experience. But again, I worked harder than I than I had any you know in any different in any time in my life. It was really the the, the academic you know. So I spoke English, but I've never I that before you know arriving at Columbia, I had never written a paper in English in my life. And here I arrive at Columbia, and I have papers due every week. Chinese, I had Chinese quizzes every day. I had a presentation once every two weeks. I had an exam once every three weeks. Um, Columbia is a difficult school. It was amazing, but I really, I worked incredibly hard to get through it. Uh, not easy at all, but, uh, but it was a phenomenal experience. Like through Columbia, I got to do this amazing Chinese business program where I studied business Chinese. 
I got to go to China and study uh, a semester in Shanghai uh, business Chinese and then do an internship in the, in the Foreign Investment Association of Shanghai. Through Columbia, I got to represent the U.S. at uh, the World's Fair um, the year after. So, you know, all these amazing experiences that I really got to, to do through Columbia. So it was uh, really one of the most hard and rewarding experiences of my life. That's just what a crazy, interesting story. I mean, so I'm assuming you're 100% fluent. Well, uh, you have strong Chinese speaking skills. Is that correct? Yeah, my Chinese is good. I haven't spoken in a while. And it's actually the first thing, Zug is actually the first thing I'm doing that's out of China in the past 15 years. So my, my past 15 years have been so focused on China. And this is the first thing that I'm doing that it's, you know, I'm, I'm taking a step away from China, which is hard wow. on one hand. On the other hand, you know, I feel like I, I need to do it in order to get a, a wider perspective. And eventually I'll get back to China. I know it's, it's, just, it's just, it's a huge part of my life. Uh, my son was also born in China. So we have this deep China connection. Uh, yeah, he was born when we were living there. Uh, the hard thing is that it's hard to, 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 to keep up my language skills because I have no one to speak with. So I drive my kids crazy, but besides that, uh, <laughs> not really a lot of opportunities to speak Chinese. Um, but uh, so it's, it's still good, but uh, I fear it might get rusty. So I need to keep it up. That's, that, that's yeah. I, I mean, there's probably a lot of stuff online and movies and, and a bunch of interesting stuff you could do to uh, keep the Chinese going. Um, yeah, now it's just a matter of time. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, so, Down in priorities. For sure, 100%. Um, so, so regarding your experience in venture capital uh, at Reimagine Ventures, what do you think about the current VC market in Israel? Um, and what sectors do you think will experience the most growth in the near future? You're asking me a sensitive question because we're in the midst of, of raising around. So I've experienced you know, this firsthand and it's not easy, especially today, especially during COVID. Um, so I, you know, I have a lot to say about this topic. Um, I can tell you this. Um, I think that what's, one of the things that's, that's hard about this market, about the Israeli market, is the fact the, that the, the entrepreneurs, the startups are on the sell side, right? So we're here, we're here selling and there's a lot of VCs. There are, there are too many VCs in, in Israel. When we first started, I remember I changed my, my LinkedIn profile and I got contacted by about 40 VCs the next day, which is crazy. Like everyone, like everyone has trackers, everyone knows and everyone, you know, and everyone's, you know, and there, there isn't enough differentiation in terms of what the VCs are offering. So you have this, this, this bubble of VCs and everyone's pretty much looking for the same thing which was unfortunate. So one of the things that we learned the hard way is that a lot of VCs in Israel don't invest in, in B2C and consumer companies, right? Israel is very much a SaaS oriented, I would say even more an enterprise SaaS oriented focused market in the venture capital world. People say they do B2C, you know, they don't, they don't do it on an early stage. They do it a little later uh, and really not enough. In the States, it's on the, you know, it's the other side. So the, the VCs are on the sell side. So they're pitching you know, to startups why the startups should take their money, which is a whole different ballgame. You know, so I think that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult, at least for a consumer-based startup raising money at an early stage in Israel. I'm happy to say that we raised money from two funds, which is great. 
and we're still we're still uh, in the in the middle of two of three processes with three other VCs. Uh, final stages. Hopefully, we'll have some good news uh, by next week. Um, but uh, but not easy. So I think that the one thing is I would like to see more differentiation in the in the venture capital world uh, in Israel. I'd like to see more more VCs, you know, differentiating and expanding beyond enterprise SaaS and B two B enterprise SaaS. I'd like to see you know more verticalization and expertise. So, for instance, Reimagine is really focused on media. They do a lot of esports and in gaming, which I think is fascinating. It's great. It's a, it's a growing segment, and I think that we need to see more focus. A lot of times, you'll, you'll meet VCs, and everyone's doing a bit of everything. But there is an expertise, and I think that you know Israel, as you guys know, it's not a it's not a target market. It's where we develop a lot of ideas, but in order to execute, we really need to go abroad because that's where you have a significant market, like the U.S. or Europe or, or China even. So I think that VCs could contribute to startups a by verticalizing, gaining expertise in specific fields, establishing good connections or branches of that VC or connections with other VCs in that world outside of Israel, because that's what the startups need. They need a good go-to-market strategy and how to get to that market uh, in, in a good way. And I think that's something that, that the VCs can definitely help with. Um, so that's what I would like to see. Um, you know, As you guys know, because since, since the pandemic hit, I think that in the beginning, what we saw that the VCs were kind of holding holding their cards close to their close to their chest, and they weren't making as much investments. It's not because the funds have run out of, of money right now, but because they're they're scared also of what it will take to raise the the next round of funds. Um, I think that I think that you know I, I don't see it changing dramatically. I still think you're going to have an abundance of VCs. I would like to see a little more. You know, some of these VCs come together more um but that's that's my prediction that's my 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 wishes super super insightful super insightful by the way is um is are you raising an, an a round or was a seed round so we're in the middle of raising a pre-seed round oh okay pre-seed round yep great okay amazing thank you thanks for the for the insight adam final question yeah, incredible yoav and so just before we wrap up I want to ask you what may be the most important question we have today, at least for many of our audience members. And that is, what advice would you give to college students who aspire to be successful entrepreneurs? Great question. Um, so I, I, there's two ways to go about this, right? The first thing is do it. If you're inspiring to, do, to be an entrepreneur, just go and do it. Like find an idea that you're passionate about Find a team that you can relate with, relate to, and work with, and just go and do it. Give it a shot. Like you're at this stage of life where you have nothing to lose, right? I, I you know, for me, starting my entrepreneurial journey at a much later age when I have a family of five, I, my margin for error is much slimmer, right? There's just so much I can, you know, I can't. I got to feed a family at the end of the day. When you're 20 something years old, it's just you. You can afford to screw up. You can afford to mess up. You can afford to fail. Don't, don't fear failure. You know, look at this as this is part of my learning experience and just go and do it. 
So that's the first thing. If you're if you're looking to be an entrepreneur, you know, I, you know, I in the back of my mind, I always knew that I was going to do something entrepreneurial, and learn from my mistakes. Because I said, okay, I just want to get some experience here, and then you know that was a great experience. And I said, okay, let me just get this experience because I had another opportunity, and I said, okay, let me just get one more experience, and then I'm good. Then I'll have enough, you know, tools in my box to go and do this on my own. And to be to be honest, there's never enough. You're always learning. You're always being challenged. There's, you never get to a point. By the way, it's one of the reasons why I like the martial arts too, because there's never a point where I feel, okay, that's it, I'm a master, right? There's always another style to learn. There's always someone who's going to kick your butt, right? There's, there's, you know, one of the things that I love the most is going to a new place, putting on the white belt and just starting, you know, from the beginning, from scratch, just teach me. And I think the entrepreneurial journey is similar in, in that sense. Um, you're never going to have the right tools. So just, just, Go and do it. Just give it a shot. Worst comes to worst, you fail. Um, I would recommend to do it in this country as well, because this country, I think, you know, people celebrate failure in a much better way than they do. I think uh, when you're a fresh graduate from the states and the expectations are high. Um, the other thing that you can do if you're not ready to take that leap of faith or you don't have an idea that you're passionate about is join a startup. Join a startup. At a young at a young state, so don't. I mean, you can join Google, but it's not a startup, right? It's a tech company, and that's a. And you have to differentiate between okay, tech and startup. There are startups that are not techy, and that's fine too. Uh, join a startup, see how the company is being built from the ground up, uh, learn from that experience, try to immerse yourself in as many aspects of the business as you can. So you learn about supply chain, you learn about business, and you learn about sales, and you learn about marketing. All these things are going to be, you know, significant things, significant as, as my, uh, as my grandfather, I'm going to sound so old right now, as my, my, my great grandmother would say, it would be, it would be feathers in your hat, right? It would be like, you know, things that you will take to your advantage and wear, wear with you as you go forward. Um, so that's my advice. It's definitely some stellar advice and I'm sure that our audience will take away a lot of uh, a lot of really valuable insight there. So, Yo, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a real honor getting to speak with you and have you share your unique wisdom and experiences with our audience, who are people with a passion for global engagement like yourself. So, I hope to make it back to your beautiful country to see you and Dean soon. But uh, in the meantime, uh, I wish you all the best and an easy fast. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the time, and I hope this was insightful for the for, for our listeners. Thanks so much, Yoav. It was really, My really pleasure, good. Guys. Appreciate it. Pleasure.